Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to The VIP Jazz World Report. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Our guest today has been through one hell of a journey in her life, and she's only 22 years old. Brought up in a Muslim family and having discovered Jesus Christ as a child, you can't even imagine what she and her family went through as she took the lonely road to Christianity. Our guest is Rifka Barry, who's written about her journey and struggles in the new book called Hiding in the Light. Welcome to the show, Rifka. Hi, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing well. A little tired, but good. <laughs> well, you know, I met you a few weeks ago and you had two security guards with you. I did. Yes, I did. Is that a permanent feature of your life? You know, Vip, I I have to travel wisely. Mm. Uh, there are counsel that advise me on certain events or certain things that I have security for. Um, so there are certain precautions that I make um, in order to be safe, yes. Wow. Well, congratulations on your book. When was it out? It was released May 19th of last month. Last month. And uh, so give us an insight into your book. Sure. Yeah. So I, in 2009, my story went international and um, I really wasn't ready to talk about it after I was able to, able to um, talk once the gag order was lifted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that I was very traumatized by everything. And so after a few years of healing, I decided to write this book to share my story of what happened behind closed doors. Um, so I, I really reveal through my book um, the situation at home and the consequences of conversion. Give our listeners a brief insight into your story. Take a few minutes. Sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I was raised in a, in a small um, island called Sri Lanka in a devout and Muslim home. I, you know, prayed five times a day. I would learn how to read in Arabic before I was even taught English. I fasted for 30 days, no food, only water, starting at age seven. I completely gave myself to Islam. Mm -hmm. But um, I found that there was an emptiness as I got older, and my really piece of home played a role in that as well. For instance, um, I was sexually violated by an extended family member when I was seven years old, and my family moved from Sri Lanka to the United States in order to retain our honor, where in the United States, that person um, who's violating would be punished, but in my culture, the victim is the one seen as defiled. And so my story really happens when we come here and I decide to uh, look into something else. Um, I have a profound encounter with Christ at a church when my friend invites me to go to church and I hide that from my family. And that's when everything changes. I secretly hide my Bible for about three to four years, three to four years. And um, eventually my parents find out about it. And that's when your adventure begins, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. So uh, once my parents find out, you know, it's um, what most people didn't, don't understand is the cultural difference. Um, for instance, in my, in my culture, leaving Islam is punishable by death. So 
and I knew this because of the way that I was raised. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in secret. Everything was in secret. And I feared my father. I mean, it wasn't just one decision um, to convert. I It was a lifestyle of oppression where I'm 12 years old and thinking of committing suicide because I'm living in an abusive nightmare. Um, but uh, my father finds out about my faith, and he confronts me mm-hmm. and says, uh, if you if you are a Christian, you are dead to me. And then he says um, the words, I will kill you. And I've seen my father angry many times, but this was different. Um, he gave me a couple days to convert back to Islam. Mm-hmm. But that that changed when the mosque got in the scene and they said, if you do not deal with your daughter, we will. And I knew that it was by death. That's what they meant when they said, if you do not deal with your daughter. Yes, because in the Quran, that is that is what happens. If you convert, you are to be killed. Now that you're, you know, you're an adult now, and do you see yourself as a hero of Christianity or a symbol of religious persecution? I I don't necessarily see myself as a hero. Mm. I I mean, my conversion story is one of many around the world who are giving their life for the gospel. People are being murdered for not refusing to renounce Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I simply see myself as um, as someone to share the message of hope and redemption. I hope that my story can bring light into what is happening in Islam. And my intent is to not malign Muslims, but to really share my experience of um, being able to escape and finding freedom and faith in Christ. You know, if your critics were to say that, were you not maybe a little too young to make a such a mature decision about changing mm-hmm. your religion? Yeah. How, old, how old were you when you, you told me you went to church, right? Yes, that's You're, right. So I how, was 12 how, years old. 12. But you have to understand, me finding Christ saved me from death physically. I mean, I was mutilating myself because I was in, in, in such an abusive nightmare, like I had mentioned before. Mm. And so if I had not gone to that church, if I had not found Jesus, I would not be in this phone call right now because I, I would have ended my life early. Um, and then, yes, some can say that I was young, but look at the longevity. I've been a Christian for 10 years. I've gone through cancer. I've been in prison for my faith. I have um, battled legally. And in the midst of it all, I'm still a professing Christian and more passionate than ever. Why didn't you become a, or why didn't you remain a moderate Muslim, even though you were brought up in in a household where, you know, maybe did they follow Muslim to the extreme, Islam to the mm-hmm, extreme? Mm-hmm. So, That's a great question. You know, I, for me, I found Christianity kind of saved me. It really did save me, and it was an experience I had. I, I ended up, you know, wanting to commit suicide, and I, I remember praying. I said, God, if you are real, if you're Allah, if you're Buddha, if you're Jesus, whoever you are, I mm. just want to know truth. And, um, and, and I, and I was a moderate Muslim at the time, you know, I, and well, I guess I was, I gave myself to Islam, but I was, I had many doubts. I was skeptical. I didn't believe. And that's when I, I prayed that prayer. And months later, I met a girl at school who invited me to go to church with her. Mm. And that experience changed everything for me. So even though I had been taught 
the contrary my entire life. There was a physical experience um, at that church where I was transformed through the forgiveness of my sin and through the love of God. Do you think yours is a case of parental oppression, cultural oppression, rather than religious oppression? Because you already said to me that, you know, in, in your own mind, you were moderately Muslim. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. very fact that you went to church just to try it out or just to accompany a friend, do you think it was more the parental and the cultural? Well, I think that we're driven by our, our religion. I mean, we're driven by what we believe, mm -hmm. and uh, our culture is shaped by those beliefs. And so, I, you know, I, I do believe that I was a, yes, there was absolutely religious oppression, and that changed my culture. Um, that's what I lived in. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. What about parental oppression? Parental oppression? I, you know, I think my parents were driven by their religion. And so what they believed in Allah and changed and affected the way that they treated me as their daughter mm -hmm. um, in concerning the shame and things like that. So I, I think it's both. But can you really say that your family was culturally oppressive? Because, you know, there was an interview, I think your parents did, and it's on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And your father uh, oh, and... I'm sorry, can you say that again? There was an interview your parents did. Okay. which came on YouTube, uh, if you type in Rifka Barry's parents. Uh-huh. And there your dad and your mom are sitting, and I think your younger brother. Um, and he says that, you know, um, he shows a photo of you in 2008 mm -hmm. uh, as a cheerleader in a New Albany high school. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. To the best of my knowledge, you know, and I've grown up with a lot of Muslim friends, no strict Muslim family would allow their daughter to dress in a cheerleader uniform. That's exactly right. And they pulled out that picture after I left my family. My parents did not come to one game. They are, we are an immigrant, my parents are immigrants. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't really understand what cheerleading was. And that's hard to understand. But, but they wouldn't have allowed you to be a cheerleader first and foremost. They would not have, no. But I, I mean, what they understood of it was mm. it was modest. And I, you know, looking back, I regret that decision because it was really rebellious of me. But I, as like any teenager, I mm. longed to fit in. I longed to belong. I just wanted to be accepted. Um, but at the time, yeah, they didn't know. I mean, I would wear sweatpants over my, my skirt. They never came to a game at all. My friends can attest to that. But school. they must know what a cheerleader wears. Not really. Not really. I mean, my parents... Barely Your dad's a well-traveled man. He's highly educated. He said mm -hmm. he even went to a Catholic high school in Sri Lanka, um, yeah, and he had to say that. he had to say yeah. Christian prayers every morning, despite oh, being that, a devout that, Muslim. That's what he's saying on on the on the interview. I'm only quoting him. You know, that's the thing. My dad is a salesman. Mm -hmm. he's great. I mean, there's if you look at my life, mm. if you read my story, you get the behind the scenes that. My father presented himself as one to other people, but behind closed doors was a very different man. And that different man mm. is what I experienced. Right. And so he may claim those things, but that is not my experience in my childhood at all. Yeah, because, you know, our listeners, some who are cynical or skeptical, might say, well, he might be someone else behind closed doors. But the very fact that he's got a photo of you in a cheerleader uniform that actually gives him credibility that he wasn't that much of a oppressive father from an Islamic point of view. You see where I'm going from? 
I do. Well, but that one picture doesn't nullify him being abused as a child all the years that I faced. Um, and I think my book and my story, my readers can see that, mm. the process. And the fact that I had to hide my faith. If my father said I could practice Islam, what in Christianity? I mean, why did my friends fear for my life? Why did I have to use code words when I would talk to them on the phone? Why did I have to hide my Bible or my books that mm. were Christian in other friends' locker rooms? He also said in the interview that he has no issue of you choosing your faith. Now, that is not true either? That is not true, no, sir. Mm. And I, my response would be the previous uh, answers of why I had... No, no, it's not a law court. Don't worry about it. We're just having a chat. Uh, <laughs> now, you know... Um, you're a daughter, you're an adult now, and I'm sure in the whole family everyone's hurt. Yeah? I'm sorry? Everyone is hurt? Hurt, yes. yeah. Yes. How do yes. you handle the hurt that you've caused your parents? You know, I grieve for them. Because, and when I wrote my book, I was very hesitant about publishing it. Um, mm, I can imagine. I knew that it would grieve my family. It would hurt them mm. since we're driven by honor. And I, I, I hesitated and I still, I, I hurt for them because I know that this is painful for them. Mm. But at the same time, I feel a greater call and a greater, um, I feel compelled that my story and my side needs to be heard after being silent for five, six years. Well, they, they've been brought up in a religion and a culture that focuses a lot on honor. And by you revealing the story, by you exposing what goes on or what went on between you and them, takes away their honor. And it, in a way, I suppose, glorifies you because you look like someone who suffered for Christ. Yes. And... I, I grieve, again, I grieve that. Mm. I grieve that they are hurting. I grieve that, that I've, I've wept over that, that they're, they're shame now on their part. Mm -hmm. But I, I, again, I feel such a strong calling that those who are in abusive situations like mine, those ha that have hurt, can find encouragement and, and hope. Right. You still maintain your Muslim name, right, even though you're a Christian? I do. Why, why yes. is that? I love my name. I mean, I I was I am I believe that God sovereignly put me in my family mm -hmm. um, and gave me that name for a reason. And so I know sometimes Muslims um, who convert to Islam change their names, but that's actually not super common in Christianity, mm -hmm. um, from what I've seen. So I I love my name, and I think it carries a part of my life and my. I've been shaped by my family, too, and, mm -hmm. and my hope is that it would shape me for the better to serve people and to be an encouragement. Um, and so I think my name, I carry that in my name. Do you think that the media sometimes might use your story as propaganda to make Allah look like the bad God and Jesus look like the good God? That's a great question. You know, my intent, at least, is has not been that. Mm. And um, it, when I'm uh, asked questions that are tended towards that, that's not my motive at all. It's just to share my experience. I'm no expert on Islam at all. 
Um, but I, I can't, I know I can't really judge their intention or motive. Um, I know sometimes it may seem that way, and mm. people can do whatever they they feel necessary. But that's at least not my heart at all in sharing my story. When you went with your friends, you went to church, and then obviously you got more involved. What does Christianity have that Islam doesn't? Forgiveness, forgiveness of sin. Well, how many sins uh, do you do? I, I mean, can, can you rephrase that? I'm sorry. No, I'm just asking. What did what did Christianity have? that Islam didn't that made you want to convert? Because you did, you yeah. took a very big step at a very young age. <laughs> That's right. You know, as Christianity offered, again, forgiveness. Mm. I felt there was a profound, I mean, the idea that God himself had died on the cross and took on all of my punishment and sin was just unthinkable to me. There's that aspect, and there's love. I mean, looking at the fruit of Christians that mm. I met and then the fruit of um, people that I had um, been around who are Muslim, there was no joy. There was a lack of joy and love. And those that I, I met who were professing Christians who seemed to really live it and not just talk about it mm. had a deep, deep sense of joy and peace. Even watching them in hard situations where they found strength and courage in uh, something bigger than them, and that really compelled me. Islam does not forgive? Um, from what I grew up with, mm. you know, it, Allah is not really a forgiving God. It's kind of arbitrary. You never know. You can ask, but it's never really uh, forgiven. Um, and so that's not what I experienced, no. You know, you were very young when all this happened. So... I'm still trying to get my head around it. Did you really study Christianity to know how good it was, or were you being swept away by Christians rather than Christianity itself? I, with all my heart, mm. was swept away with Christianity itself, again, with the longevity. You know, if someone had brainwashed me or convinced me, would I not have quit, you know, two years in or a year in when things got difficult or when my faith was threatened and I felt as if I was in danger? Um, and I... I, yeah, I, I would read the Bible myself. No one made me. I would pray myself. I've journals. I mean, books and books and books and books of journals where I would pray to Jesus. I would pray in the mosque. I mean, I would, um, uh, pretending to take notes, I would pray to my God. Uh, and I would um, hide my, my iPhone, like, um, my iPod underneath my hijab and listened to worship music at 13, 14. I was in love with Jesus, and I had been, my life had been transformed. Transformed, or was it about to, or was it the fact that you were embarking on this huge adventure that sort of was the adrenaline for all of this? I would say transformed. I mean, I saw myself change in major ways. For mm. instance, I would hate my family. I hated my family, you know, with everything that happened. And I would start finding a new sense of love for them as I read the Bible, as I prayed for them, That where I would, I would cry over my brother, wanting him to experience the love that I had experienced and the freedom I'd found. I would, you know, if I would lie or if I would gossip or whatever I did, that was not um, honoring to God, I, I grieved over that, and that wasn't there before at all. I lived for myself, and now I wanted to live for Christ. You tried to convert your brother as well? <laughs> 
No, he didn't know about it. I, I prayed for him, though, a lot, and I still do. The book's dedicated to him, right? Oh, uh, my older brother. I'm sorry. My l little brother is who my, the book is dedicated to. And why, why, why do you do that? My little brother, my baby brother, is the light of my life. Mm. In the midst of my abusive home, I found great joy in taking care of him. And there is a sweet relationship with him that I have not found anywhere else. He's, he's my baby brother. And I really wanted him to know that um, I left not because I didn't love him enough. I know he probably has a lot of questions of why the big sister he adored just But left. you're not in touch with him, right? I am not. I am not. Do I you ever plan him. to get in touch with your family? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think I'm there yet. I'm, I'm, I'm praying for them, and I think, especially with this book being released, uh, there's a lot of emotions and so many, um, still a lot of grief still. Uh, and my hope is really for reconciliation one, one day, hopefully. But I just, it's a hard thing to grasp if um, they, it's just, it's. it's well, this book has made it more difficult, book. right, for a reconciliation. I'm sorry, on th the this book has? book has made it more difficult for a reconciliation on their part. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is it not? I, I don't know. Actually, that's a great question. I don't know because on one hand, is it going to open their eyes to what I experienced? Or on the other hand, it's more likely to bring shame because it's exposing everything and that my family is driven by honor. Um, but that's a great question. Who is out to get you? You've got two security guards. So who do you think would be out to get you? You know, I have to take precautions. Um, my location is not disclosed. Mm -hmm. If I, you know, there are certain, I am advised by security, and um, I follow their counsel on certain things. And so, um, I, I mean, I've been threatened before. I, there's a reason that Who's threatened I was you? moved from foster to home fo to foster home. Um, it, I, you know, there were threats that were given through the internet, exactly mm -hmm. by Muslims, exactly what they would do to me. Um, and my the state of Florida and Ohio moved me from home to home to home, and they saw that there was a threat at least. Um, can you can you share can you share what they said? when they were being specific about what they would do to you? Yeah, I mean, they said, I, I am not, I try not to read any of those things, but from one that came, um, I think uh, the Christian B, the B word must die, and they said what they would do. I, I, don't, I don't have it in front of me, and this was years ago. Mm -hmm. And so just now I am coming out. In speaking about it, right. but this was in '09 when all of it happened. But yes. But you don't know what they said. I, I don't. I just know that there were security threats enough where my the state of Ohio and Florida moved me from home to home to home. Do you think? I mean, you know, it's very typical for young teenagers to hate their parents. Um, but do you think getting caught up in all the media attention helped you stay a Christian? <laughs> Vip, you have to realize, I, I, I mean, I was a public figure in 2009, mm. but when I had the opportunity to speak in all these platforms and avenues, I said no. 
And there's a reason why, because I was traumatized by it. And for five years, I was silent, absolutely silent. I didn't do any speaking engagements in terms of, you know, going, even going to churches and talking. I did none of that. And so I, w- I didn't have a public life. And even when the But isn't that hit, because all the court cases were happening? So maybe your lawyers had only advised? Only for a year. Nope, only for a year, okay. 18, 17 to 18. And then the court cases ended, and I had the option of going anywhere and speaking anywhere at all. But I was silent for five years. There was one part where I saw on the internet that you were, were you associated with Xenox? Xenox? No, I was not. I think what you might be referring to, is it a YouTube video where I'm in a yellow dress and talking? Could be, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was prior to me leaving home. Yeah, I was, it was someone had videotaped my testimony and um, that was hidden, like, no one knew about it. It was mm. just for their sake. And then when the case released, they were given permission to release it um, to prove that I was actually a Christian prior to leaving my family. Because some people were saying, well, did she just make this up just to get attention? And well, that's what I so found. You know, when I was doing research on you, you've got opinions from people on the opposite ends of the spectrum. I do. You know, I, I mean, it must be weird living in that sort of environment because on one end you've got all the people loving you for joining Christ and then obviously you've got the other side where uh, you've got Muslims and non-Muslims uh, doubting your credibility. That's right. And That's it, right. It, uh, how do you handle that? You're only 22. <laughs> you know, I, I have to give it to you that it, it's so much pressure, but... Judging from your tone, your voice, you know, you, you, you sound very positive and, and you sound strong. How do you handle that? I handle that by really trying to focus on my faith. I mean, even to this day, I live for Jesus. My faith is everything. And I found courage and boldness where I am unashamed in talking about it mm-hmm. through finding my life in Jesus and in my faith. How many times do you pray a day? You know, the Bible says pray without ceasing, and so I don't really count how many times. Hmm. It's whenever whenever I want to. You know, I pray when I'm, I just thank God when I wake up in the morning. It's like breath to me. Prayer is who I am. It's a relationship with God. And so whether that's me waking up in the morning and watching the birds or whether that's me, you know, finding actually allotting time in my day, hmm. um, it's, it's, and I love it. It's, it's how I survive. So the Muslim in you hasn't left because they pray five times a day and you must be praying at least that. <laughs> but I pray to a different God. You pray to That's a different God. Difference. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Let's reverse the situation, yeah? You're in America. You're um, a Muslim converting to Christianity. And, you know, you can rightfully imagine there'd be a lot of open arms welcoming you to that. If I was to reverse it, and I want you to step outside of your box here, If you were a white Christian and you were taken away by Muslim extremists to convert to Islam, do you think the media would react differently? Do you think events would have taken a different turn? Sure, yeah. Um, You know, that's hard to say, for one, Mm. um, because I I was drawn to Christ. I wasn't forced into converting. But in that specific situation... Well, let's say you're, you're, uh, 
there's a desire to convert to Islam. Not false. Yeah, and I think if there is a desire, mm-hmm. I think in our culture in America, there is an acceptance towards if there's freedom. And that's what I think enraged a lot of people is that I was not given the freedom to worship. And so I think that if there's a desire to want to go to Islam that is respected and it may not be looked good because, I mean, look at what's happening in ISIS. Hmm. But if it's if it's forced, um, I, I think that, that might be a different story, but it's really hard to gauge. See, my, my, I, I think if there was a minor involved, and you were a minor at the time, um, mm-hmm. and you had white Christian parents who objected to their white minor Christian child going to Islam and running away, um, I'm not sure the media would be as favorable as they were to you. You know, maybe not, but I think when it comes to killing your child, that's a different story. Um, (laughs) Because it wasn't just, oh, this is bad, it's my life was on the line. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the difference. Mm -hmm. There have been some stories about during the court cases and there were debates about the people who helped you. Had they committed a crime? What happened to that? Yeah, there were potential charges. Mm. Um, uh, Those charges were dropped, but I was terrified because these people had, you know, I had reached out to them. I was the one that was desperate for help, and they boldly said yes, risking their lives. Mm. And and, um, so those charges were dropped. uh, Lorenzo's, they were potentially, there was a pending arrest. They they weren't sure, but that was dropped. And then my friend Brian, there was a pending arrest, and that's when I turned myself in. This is when I um, went went from Ohio to Florida, Mm -hmm. and they said, we have a uh, uh, possible charges for arrest. If she doesn't show up in the next 24 hours, you're going to jail. And that's when I said, I'm going forward. Let's, I'll show my face to spare my friends. And that's when they took me to jail. (laughs) Wow. Was it Pastor Lorenz? Yes, that is Pastor Beverly and Blake Lorenz. Now, has he left the pulpit? Uh, he has not. From what I know, they're still he's still preaching and mm. has a church, and they're, I think, in traveling all over the world. Uh, Are you in touch with them? I am. I am. Mm. We don't speak often just with our schedules and everything because they travel quite a bit. Right. But if I am in Orlando, I try to see them. Mm-hmm. Did you ever feel that you're regarded as a trophy Christian for religious think, extremists? Mm-hmm. I don't think I have been. I, I think the response from the church at least has been, um, from what I've seen, mm. they've, the response has been encouragement, that they're inspired. Um, and my hope is not to glory in the decision. I mean, really, there are many brothers and sisters all over the world who are die for the gospel whose names are never known. Um, I just think that people are encouraged by this happening in the United States and me saying yes in the face of death. Did ever peop- did your Muslim community or your parents ever accuse you that you've been brainwashed? Absolutely. That was a, I laugh at that because mm. <laughs> I am so in love with Jesus. I mean, I... I well, you I, know, that, that response right there might, might make people think that you are being brainwashed. Yeah. I guess then my response to that is, well... Again, you know, when I'm in a prison cell for my faith, 
I could easily say I don't believe in Jesus and, uh, you know, go out or I can easily, why didn't I not go back to my parents? There's but no can you imagine there. the glory you receive from it? You're in jail because you believe in Christ and you're in America. When you come out, there's this whole adulation Problem is, of Rifka, that, that you know what, a child going to, becoming a Christian, mm-hmm, going to jail, mm-hmm. it's, you know, this sort of thing doesn't happen in America, and because it has, she's our hero. Problem with that is, that mm. happened before the media got involved. That was me as a 16-year-old. I had no intention of this going to the press, and my parents are the ones who took it to the media to begin with, and so for me, to, for that to be the motivation would have been a little ridiculous, since that didn't happen. So how could that have been something that compelled me to stay? Mm. What other aspects of Christianity? You talk about forgiveness, but I don't think you're the sort of person who sins a lot. And you said <laughs> that was your prime motivation. But what else did you find in Christianity? You know, I. What I, about the I people did. who follow Christianity? Were they a lot more appealing than, say, the people who follow Islam based on your personal experience? You're not stereotyping, but just in your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that had a factor in it, but more than anything, mm. it was what I experienced in that church. when And, and my, my prayer when I cried out to God, it truly was a profound moment when I, I was weeping, feeling... It was like an exchange where I was just crying and feeling the weight of all my oppression and feeling in that moment as if there's an exchange of my burden for God's love and mercy and goodness. And that changed me. I mean, that really... But that's a very mature prayer for a teenager. To pray... uh, For mercy, for forgiveness, and, and things like that. Yeah, I... You know... I am 22 years old, and I'm saying that. I probably would not have said that then, mm. um, but because I've, I'm 22, this happened when I was 13, and I can describe it a lot more because I've been a Christian for 10 years. Right. Do you live, despite your bodyguards, do you live a normal life? Do you have a boyfriend? Do I live a normal life? As best as I can, mm. yes. I go to church. I serve in the inner city. Mm-hmm. I, you know, go to the movies. I hang out with my with uh, fa- friends and family who are like family. The church is definitely like family to me. Right. Um, I play with kids. I go to parks and read. I yeah, absolutely. Are you in a relationship? I I'd rather not share that with the world. I think. Oh. So from love of God, we were going to talk about love of man, but obviously you want to keep that private. I respect that. <laughs> Thank you. How do you go out in the public, like in a park? I mean, do the bodyguards follow you there? Um, I am, again, advised by security, but mm-hmm. I, I just take precaution. If I'm in Columbus or Orlando, then yes, but if I'm not, it just it just depends. Hmm. Now, another event happened, and you you developed cancer. I did. Tell us about that. You know, I I was, I think, a month away from graduation of high school and a couple months from being freed from my family in the legal system. Mm. And I was told by my caseworker, you have less than a year left to live, and they did more testing and said, 
even with the best chemotherapy treatment we have to offer you, you're not going to make it past a year. And that was a unreal moment to me. It was like all this had happened, and here I was um, possibly dying of something else. But I, I had such peace, and I knew that my faith was what I was living for. Mm. Through that experience, I gained the reality that I am not I'm, there is eternity. This is eternal, the whole, the full picture. And I'm sorry, what um, is eternal? Uh, that life is eternal, and is I it? believe that. Yeah, I, that's what I believe. Yeah. Well, I've only got 20 years to live. Thereabouts, <laughs> I'm that old. So, how, what do you mean by life is eternal? In the sense that there is an afterlife, and I, I, I believe in the gospel. That, and so. Um, I, I believe with all my heart that I would I would be okay, and mm-hmm. I and I actually decided to stop the chemotherapy treatment. Um, I felt that that would just I sounds crazy, and I still to this day can't explain why or how, but I made that decision, and it really is a miracle. I had a recent testing done with the physicians, and they looked at me, looked at all the paperwork from five years ago and the recent testing. He took off his glasses, stared at me in absolute awe, and said, I have no explanation for why you're sitting in front of me other than it being a miracle. And you think that is God's hand? Absolutely, I do. Are you always this chirpy because you're so positive and you're on a high? <laughs> you know, I... I find my life and joy in Jesus, and definitely you have not seen me in my hard moments of the day. But Oh, you do have hard moments? Of course, like anyone. I'm a human being. Because I met you in the office, you were all chirpy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, on this call, and I've spoken to you before, and you're always upbeat. You know, I think people describe me as that, mm-hmm. and I think I've, you know, I find my life in my faith, but there are moments where I grieve the loss of my family or I'm hurting um, and and I found comfort in the midst of my grief and my faith, but that doesn't nullify the fact that yes, I, I cry, I weep. I mean, I hurt for my family, absolutely. Wow. The purpose of your book, you know, I I discussed the sort of negative side where it exposes your family and things like. That. Let's move to the positive side. What's the message that you wanted to give to others? through your story? Was it just for some people to read and say, okay, that's interesting, okay, that was great, you, you know, it's a nice journey, whatever. What can they take away from it? I think that they can take away courage, that it, that this is a story mm. of someone that has gone through so much and still has said yes. And my hope is that those girls who are living in abusive situations Mm. who are wanting out that it would give them hope to leave you're encouraging minors to run away no i'm encouraging those who are in oppressive situations who are in danger potentially Mm -hmm. that they have that option of leaving and i think in every situation it's going to look different but for those whose lives are in danger absolutely and in your experience, and you must have given a lot of speeches, you must have met a lot of girls, a lot of women. Um, 
if you were to look in America today, where would you identify a lot of these young girls or young women coming from? I, you know, Vip, I actually just have recently, like I said, I was silent for five, six years. Mm -hmm. Just now, I mean, last two weeks, I've started sharing my story. And and I haven't really met women or girls who are in that position. Um, But I I have been reached out to through Facebook even um, that there are certain people who are are uh, encouraged and and one girl was writing a letter to her family telling after 10 years that she's converted um so yeah i haven't really encountered that but maybe in the future have you been i mean now okay now the books come out uh your life must have transformed because now you're an overnight sensation um how does it feel i mean has life changed a little bit Life has changed a lot, but mm. at the same time, it's odd. Life has still stayed the same. You know, I have, I feel like I have, you know, like, a foot in, in both worlds. One is where I'm talking, sharing my story, um, I, you know, meeting people now, and the other is going to church on Sunday and cutting up ham sandwiches for church breakfast or, um, you know, spending time with loved ones, watching a movie. And so there's two worlds, but, yes, I'm just learning how to, um, honor God in it and love my family again and honor them in the midst of it as best as I can and pray for them. Um, so it has been quite the adjustment, just learning how to have a public life at the same time live normal. Have your parents tried to get in touch with you? They have not. Either send, a, send you a uh, letter or an email? No. You don't have someone in the middle who sort of couriers things back and forth? No, there is not. They know who to contact if they need to. Oh, there is, there is a way. Well, um, I, my attorney who represented me in my case yep, yep. Uh, is still an active an attorney, and he's still in, involved in my life. Mm. And, um, there, are many, there are many legal counsel that it's just easy to. There's a GAL, a guardian ad litem, um, who is kind of a middle way, who's sure. not on my side, but... Uh, is representing my what they call best interest, right? And so they have that to go to. I mean, there are numerous contacts. If I asked you to give a message to your parents on this show, what would it be? It would be that I forgive them. It would be that I still struggle with what's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, that it has not been easy, and that I hurt for them, and I hurt for what's happened. I wish that. It had not happened the way that it did, right. but that I, that I miss them a lot. Um, and even though that doesn't mean I can see them, or but I, that I, I pray for them and I love them dearly. If they ever said that in their heart of hearts, if they forgave you, and let's patch up and make up, hmm. how would you react? I would say, you know, again, I remember <laughs> being chained in the jail cell and my father's voice speaking over the over the intercom saying, no, she can practice her faith. It's fine. And so there's a, a track record of my father lying about what happened. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if I can trust that. 
No, but I'm not saying that you go and live with them or they come and live with you. You stay where you are, they stay where they are, but all they say is, you know what, we just have a regular chat once or twice a week and and, and, uh, see where it goes from there. Would you be okay for that? I don't think I'm there yet. No? No, I don't think But then you haven't forgiven them, right? I think forgiveness looks different. Mm. It's an internal action. It doesn't it's not a cookie cutter where every situation looks the same. Forgiveness is one of the heart where you let go and you say it's not saying it's okay and it's not saying I trust you, but it's an internal response. So in your world you've forgiven but not forgotten. Exactly. And you definitely haven't forsaken. No. Mm. No. In all this time, your strength towards Christianity has increased even more? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, as the, and I think with anything that we believe as the years go by, it's tested. You can say something, but then when situations challenge that, you are choose to say, you choose to make a position. And and through all the traumatic things that have happened, I mean, even after leaving my family, I have found my greatest comfort in my faith. And the chirpiness you talk about, the courage you yeah. talk about, mm-hmm. the boldness you talk of, that's through my faith in Christ. And And that's the whole reason that I, even my future of wanting to go into law and wanting to represent women who are hurting or in some way bringing justice to the hurting and being a voice to those who can't speak. I, I think my faith and my, my, my um, childhood and my story has played a major role in that. And, you know, family is an important part, and I keep coming back to that, but I just wanted to ask you, in your present environment, without naming names, do you have an adopted father and an adopted mother and an adopted, say, brother-sister scenario going <sighs> Absolutely. I'm sitting in front of one of them right now. <laughs> yeah, I do. I and you know, it's still never going to be the same, but God has been so kind in bringing people to me who love me, whose shoulders I can weep in, who give me counsel, mm. who um, you know, who are there and as family. And I found that in the church. So now you're of a legitimate age of 22. You have the book out. Uh, next few months are going to be busy promoting the book, your story. Um, where do you think the future is going to take you? You know, I, I'm excited because I think the book hopefully will um, we'll see what doors open. Um, I, I'm excited in sharing my story. It's well, you must hard. have a plan. I do. I hmm. do. I'm in school right now. I'm a right. college student. I just recently uh, went back to school, and so I'm finishing my degree, and with high hopes of going to law school, and and my attorneys who represented me during that case have been such an inspiration in going into law, watching the way that they have selflessly given themselves to fighting for those who can't. I've never met a selfless attorney. (laughs) I have. His (laughs) name is John Stemberger. He did the entire case pro bono. He didn't receive a dime. And to this day, he's still representing me, and I don't pay him. You know, he's just concerned about me. And, um, and it, I mean, to the point where it hurt his family. He had, a heart, I think, a heart attack or something mm-hmm. during my court case. New, many of the attorneys were, I mean, 
uh, really struggling during that time, whether health-wise or just exa- it was exhausting. Where can we get your book, Rivka? You can get my book everywhere books are sold. It's mm-hmm. on Amazon. Uh, if you want to purchase a copy at riskaberry.org, it's available there as well. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Vip. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. God bless you. Bless you. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. A special shout-out of thanks to my dream team, William Sanchez and Rick Buso. Your comments on your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Jaswal and my Facebook page, The Vip Jaswal Report. I wish you and your loved ones a fabulous evening. And until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead.